Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of chat and fantastic guests for you to meet over the next couple of hours. Let's get straight to business this Wednesday afternoon. Tell you a little story. Ashling Nally and Anya Whelan, two talented and bright young women, sent me a video message earlier in the week asking if they could join me on Late Lunch to talk about young people and being kind to your mind. It's an initiative I really like and it's starting tomorrow at Boomerang Youth Cafe in Drogheda. And let me tell you, they're here. The magic of sending a video message and me liking what they said. Welcome to the show, Ashling and Anya. Thanks so much for having us. Not at all. You're very welcome. It's Anya making her debut on Late Lunch, but you're a veteran, Ashling Nally. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> when we, it's, how long is it since? It's five years this year since, since I opened my dance, my skills. Yeah. Where have those years just disappeared? And you're both welcome. Thank you for joining me on the show. You're both involved in the dance. You have your dance academy and you work on your with KidCast. Yeah, yeah. Famous, famous dance studio as well in Drogheda, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. You're busy, busy <laughs> Where people. Where I trained as well. <laughs> and you trained there. Oh, my God. So, so, so you know each other. Let's yeah, just yeah. get the, set the scene. Indeed. You know each other from dance. You deal a lot with young people. From what age? What age do they start dancing with you, boys and girls? I teach from three up yeah. until about 18 three yeah, same. Yeah. same with yourself yeah. Ashling. so you're right in there when they're littlies and you see them moving up to the ages as well this is one thing I want to ask you before we get on to the specifics of this you hear in a lot of sport where they're lost when they reach the early teenage years you know what I mean you know what I'm talking about yeah. 12 yeah. and 13 and that that type of age is it the same in the dance world or do they are they inclined yeah. to stay more a little bit. I feel sometimes depending on like um, what they feel is their future with it. If they if they've been say maybe doing competitions, they, they you now there's a link there. They might stay, or if they're really interested in further in their dance career. But other than that, I think sometimes it can get to an age if they feel that they're not progressing maybe the same as other people. It's again being kind of self conscious, and I think when it gets to an age, they're thinking, "Oh no, this isn't for me," and they feel that they can't just come for fun anymore. And is that a challenge for you guys? Yeah, completely. Like, there's a huge drop-off, and I think it kind of goes across the board, not just with dance, but just with physical or any kind of activity that you're interested in. Like, you can see the drop-off majorly, um, definitely 14, 15. You can see the kind of lack of interest, and I think it kind of goes with, you know, we start discovering girlfriends and boyfriends, we start discovering parties, and, you know, it's just trying to get them to understand that you can do that but you can also still have a passion for something and still be connected into something that you grew up with you know Mm, the hormones are changing of course education plays a part as well where people are the pressures come on from from study and that as well so what's put this afoot with both of you that you've decided 
to do something about the mental health of young people. Now we're jumping on a bit here from dance and what we've been talking about. Why? Why this? Um, over Christmas, it was just an idea I had um, just due to different things that had happened within our dance school. And I found, I was just thinking that like a lot of the time they come in and that age group, they just seem to always want to be chatting. You could nearly have a whole class of just sitting listening to them. And I just found that they just seemed to just need a listening ear. There's someone that was maybe that they could relate to, that it was, you know, someone different than, say, like a parent or a school teacher, like someone that they felt was on the same page as them, that understood, say, you know, they had, they're had they not out of school as long or someone that's on social media. And um, Anya at the time had been posting really, like, positive and influential videos on her social media. And I remembered her from um, when we were dancing years ago and I thought, you know, she'd be a great person to get on board. And I just happened to say the idea to her and she fully could understand was related to me um, so we ended up we met up in Starbucks and we just started throwing around some ideas and then we thought of Boomerang um, so we popped into Boomerang and had a meeting we were working with uh, Kieran and Teresa and Shane and they just really loved the idea and thought that they found they were struggling to get people in kind of with that age group as well um, so they were glad to know that we kind of had dealings with people of that age and yeah so they were just really chuffed to to get on board with us. So it is the 14 to 18 age group that we're talking about here. Is, is, isn't is that amazing what you say and what uh, we're talking about here with Ashling on you? They're looking for an ear. Completely. They like, just want someone yeah, to listen. Exactly. I think no matter what age you are, everyone just wants someone to relate to and someone to be there for you. And it's very evident when you're a young person like... I felt it. I know we spoke about it together. We both felt it when we were younger. You just want someone to chat to. And if they're closer to your age and understand the pressures of like social media and school peers and stuff like that, it's just easier to influence people if they can relate to you. You know, that kind of way they understand that, oh, well, you you felt like that. That's okay then. You know, I'm not on my own. And it's just to get that message across that we feel like that too. Like we might be adults, we're not that much older than you, but we get it and we feel that very much too. So, you know, it's very normal to feel like that and to need a break and someone to chat to. And yet we have Facebook, Twitter, they're sort of sliding off the scale actually now, but Instagram, all the new ones that are there at this stage and they're evolving all the time. And young people especially inhabit and populate those places and they're incessantly off them. And yet there's something missing. You know, for all the communication. Yeah, connection. They don't have, it's like a connection with another person. We found that even when we went into Broomerang, they, they told us a story how um, they they were had different groups and how there was two people in the same room and they were texting each other, but they never spoke to each other. And it's, you know, that whole <laughs> idea of, you know, it's, you know, connecting with other people. And even if it is just an hour and a half in the week, that it means that that age group will put down their phone and just talk to other people. I feel like even if it is only that hour and a half, it would make a massive difference for them to just become self-aware, to realise, okay, I'm not the only one feeling like this, whether it be positive, negative, anything like that, that there is, everyone's, we're all in the same boat. Everyone feels the same. Everyone, you know, everyone is on the same page. I'm just here thinking on you, of two people sitting as you are there, maybe just over there, and they're communicating. But not talking, yeah. yeah, or not listening to each other, or anything like that. And and like without giving uh, an awful lot away, because you do obviously have personal conversations with 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 people you encounter and these young people. What are the issues? What are the, for example, what 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 do they want to talk about? What are they are they worried about? Are they concerned? Is is life tough? 
I think a lot of them, it's kind of the same thing. I know a lot of the girls and boys included. Mm. It's it's this big thing of when you fall out with your friends. Um, it's that isolation feeling. I well, I know from what I've experienced with conversations I've had, it's if you fall out with someone, you feel like you're on your own and they're isolated. Um, but also just very minor things. I think when you're a teenager, everything is very extreme, isn't it? You know, you've got all these hormones flying around and everything is major. But you know, like someone bumps off you in the corridor and you're like, "What are you doing?" But it's not a big deal. But you can't see that because you're in your own little zone. And it's just to like if they came to me and said oh someone looked at me funny today in school and I'd be like ah can you hear yourself it's just someone to say that you know that kind of way just to be like ah come on now we're old enough now to realise it's not a big deal but it's just it's just to keep intact that you're fine it's it's gonna be okay like whether like she said like whether it's gonna be positive or negative it's fine we've all been through this it's okay anything you've come across we hear those examples there yeah, of I things think, that again yeah it's just it's mostly kind of small things but I feel that um just like I think it's more so in recent years I feel there's always this kind of there's no kind of in between I think sometimes you're either grand and you're you know you're really happy and in a great you're you know buzzing really happy person or else on the other hand you know they're telling you okay you've either got like that they're putting a name on it like a label on it you know you have like say like a mental health problem maybe say depression or anxiety and I feel that there's no like for young people to try and just show awareness there seems to be no kind of in between that it's okay, yeah, maybe you might have a, you might be feeling bad today. It doesn't mean that, you know, that there's any, you know, serious, serious issues there. So we were really hoping that with Headspace, um, that we're going to look at the different, of like different stages of positive self-esteem, um, the five steps to well-being, and so that they can learn how to deal with it. So when they feel these feelings, how to process it and understand, okay, this is how I'm feeling today and this is the tools I need to help just keep happy and to be just themselves, really, and happy in their own skin. I'm so interested in what you're saying, and you're right on on point there, because in life today, it is extremes. It's one or the other. It's up or down. Mm. But there's a lot in the middle, like, yeah. you know what I mean? And we have to realise that <laughs> as well. So so what's, wh- what's your thoughts around this? I just want to remind everybody that it's happening each Thursday, and it's starting tomorrow from 6 o'clock until 7.30 in Boomerang Youth Cafe on Fair Street in Drogheda, 14 to 18 year olds if you are 14 to 18 listening today if you're a parent a grandparent let them know that this is on because they're more than welcome what's the plan how are you going to take this on well we were hoping to bring in people um you know obviously we can't do this all the time but to bring people in on just teaching mindfulness like what Ashlyn said even the five steps to well-being just all of these little things that'll just help to create a stronger mind because if you can create that from a young age you'll constantly just thrive with that and it'll grow as you get older, you know? Like, And I feel like a lot of the times this isn't spoken about until people are feeling quite low. And that's not the case. Like mental health is the same as physical health. You need to mind it all the time. It's a constant thing. Um, So if we could bring in speakers just to teach them how to look after themselves, that's one of our main things. But also on the other weeks, we want to include things like what they're interested in. It could be cooking, it could be fashion, it could be fitness, anything. We just want to keep it very kind of inclusive to everybody. It's not constantly going to be about positivity all the time, you know? Will you allow them have phones? No, they'll definitely... <laughs> well, maybe don't tell them that till tomorrow. We might come. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Just We just really want to create, like, to encourage, like, a re- have a really encouraging... Um, 
environment, a really positive atmosphere that they feel comfortable, um, you know, that they can set goals, that they can, you know, boost confidence. And we really just want to listen to them. So tomorrow will all be about um, like icebreakers, getting to know everybody and then just sitting down and talking and just asking what they want to achieve from the group um, and just really taking it and making a plan um, from there and just let them lead the way, really. I, 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 I'm listening to what you're saying and there's one word that pops to my mind, resilience. Do you think that young people or some young people are less resilient today mentally? You know, you mentioned situations that you should just brush off or pay no heed to. Is, is, is that a fact? That they're less resilient? What do you think? I definitely think, to be honest, yeah, I think so. Um, Like when you hear of your own grandparents or your parents and they're saying, you know, we didn't struggle with that. Now, I'm not brushing it off either. It's very different times and Mm -hmm. I understand that. But in terms of coping skills, yeah, I feel like there's quite a lack. Like I'm not that much older than the kids that are going to be coming and I feel it, you know, like I'm only turning 22 this year. So I really relate to them. Like I feel like I lacked coping skills in school, you know, it's just very normal people skills that you're kind of lacking you know because you're in that school space all the time like parents and grandparents a lot of them were working from say 14 16 they were adults far quicker than what we are today and in turn when I started working I started picking up them kind of people skills and life skills not very many because I'm still young but you still pick them up when you finish school and it's to try and kind of implement that and make them more resilient from a younger age not to be so hurt all the time from small things very good point. Sure, you're only 22 yourself. You're only a whippersnapper, and yeah. so is Ashling. So you're only youngsters, as you said, a little bit ahead of them. But you, you have learned a lot. You know what I mean. You are that step further on, which is significant, really. And today, when you look at life today in general, like I would say, from my time, the world has improved massively. Life is far better on on a lot of aspects, and yet this is an area we seem to struggle with. Yeah, no, I definitely think so. I Again, what we were saying earlier, I think it's to do with the extremes. I think it's just, it's really just an understanding of um, them, like people as individuals and knowing kind of, you know, you know, what makes them happy and, you know, actually just being unique and then just taking you yourself as a person. I feel that it's very hard to people always feel the need to be, say, looking at maybe other people's lives. And it's always, like, question themselves. Like, a funny thing I'd seen online over Christmas, like, people were posting into a group wondering, should they take down their Christmas tree? And then you had other people, you know, answering them. And then some people were saying, are they really asking me? Like, why Why should you ask? If you don't want something, you don't have to do it. You don't need approval you know, from everybody else. And it's, it's something so small, but that is what life is. I feel that people aren't using their own mind and you like actually believing in themselves that they can make decisions and what they say is good enough. If it suits them, I feel it's always that, you know, they need that constant reassurance and approval from everybody else. You know, oh, well, if she says it's okay, then I can do it rather than just looking to themselves for like an inner strength and an inner belief. Are you sure you're only dance teachers? <laughs> That's what strikes me. I do. I think both of us were talking about this um, from a young age. It was just something I always felt that it's probably sounds really cliche, but I always did feel that I was kind of put here for something more. And I was always trying to figure out what it was. Um, I had always definitely like a major interest in psychotherapy and I had hoped to actually go on and do dance psychotherapy. Um, and then when I started talking to Anya, then she has a really interest in um in psychotherapy as well and just like how the mind works and I was always from a young age fascinated by how 
the mind worked. Like I was always so into my dancing and I was, I always felt I was different, say, from my friends. And I always said that to my mom. I could never understand I, how I thought this way and somebody else thought another way. So um, no, it's just amazing that we both are together mm. on this. And, and let me say, I don't mean only dance teachers. Dance no, teachers no, are wonderful know. people <laughs> and they do a marvellous, marvellous job. And you are so talented and so skilled. Let me take a wee break. I am enthralled by both of you, I have to say today. They're a breath of fresh air, Ashling Nally and Anya Whelan. And they'll get you dancing too if you want. It'll be good for mind and body. Yes, we're talking about a new initiative that's beginning tomorrow, Thursday evening at six o'clock in the Boomerang Youth Cafe in Drogheda for 14 to 18 year olds. Ray's been on to say he admires you greatly. He said they had a similar programme, a feel good in the league and it really worked. He says the challenge for you will be attracting and keeping and getting young people to commit. I'm sure you understand that yourselves. That's the idea with this. But listen, today is... uh, just play this back, podcast it, let people hear it and they'll be to you and they'll want to be part of it, I'm sure. Just to say that uh, we were talking about phones and that, but the, there's a great side to phones and social media. I always say that with the negatives, but 10,000, have you, uh, you? This idea that came about in the cafe when yeah. you had a cup of coffee, how many have you had looking at this? About 10,000. About 10,000, And that's yeah, only in a sh- very short space of time. Mm-hmm. So hopefully now this is going to get them out tomorrow evening and out to Boomerang to join. And it'll build, you know that, it'll build yourselves. Just to come back to something you mentioned, it touched on one of you there. You know the way we compare, and, and this device and social media does this, this comparing thing. How do you... How do you get through to people to say to them, don't be happy in your nappy. Be happy yeah. as you are yourself. <laughs> I think it's definitely the things that we're hoping to look at over the next few weeks. And um, we were discussing some of them in Boomerang and they've, they're really, really talented and educated people. And we're definitely going to, myself and on, you're both going to learn a lot from them as well that we can then pass on to the young people. But it's just, it's, it's, it sounds a lot harder than what it is. But from just talking to them, there's, such like little small things that can be done that are going to make a massive difference in the young people's lives like different mechanisms different tools um just to keep that create that positive mm. mindset you understand that you know what's been going on in this town especially in recent weeks but for quite a while now and you know how important the roles you play are in you know, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, aren't you? Completely. Getting young people involved, and you, you said it yourself, and holding them and keeping them with you. You know, as an aside yeah. to the medal. It's so important. I mean, like to have an interest in something, whether it be this, whether it be anything at all, just to be interested and to connect with people your own age. I just think it's so important. Um, I felt it even when I was younger, you know, some of my pals, I was always interested in dancing, as was Ashlyn. And like we dedicated an awful lot of our youth to that. But some of my friends, you know, didn't have hobbies. And you can kind of see where there's a lack there, you know, to kind of have a balanced life. I feel like you have to have an interest in something, you know, and it can be makeup. It can be it can be anything, you know, and it's just to get them to come in. Um, you know, I was talking to some of them not that much younger than myself, as I said, and they were saying, you know, I think it's great. You and Ashlyn, you know, you are two young people. You get it. And that's the whole thing. It's just, you get it. You understand you're not someone's mom, And I think the fact that we are relatable, I think that this might, it might push it a little bit further. Mm. Do, do you, when you see what's happening, what do you think? What, what, what needs to be done? Is there anything you, that you've, have you thought about this? Or are you just leaving it and hope that the Guardi and, you know, the ERU and people like that sort it out? Yeah, I kind of feel like definitely from a young age, I think that there's not enough to keep people interested. Like, you know, that to keep them focused on something else. 
So then when these other things can kind of come up, they're finding they've no other option and finding themselves in, involved in like in tricky situations. And then it's the same as anything. Once you kind of get into anything, whether it be positive or negative, you just you're hooked and you know it just becomes your daily routine and that's exactly why we were saying for headspace um i find it's it's it just a break away from your daily routine step away from school other hobbies and it's just an hour and a half to yourself to just reconnect see where you're at each week and just process that and you know let it develop um but you know i think yeah it's just really it is sad but i think that um you know the people of that are going to come together and we're not going to let it get us down. Hopefully we have this positive thing anyway. And there is so much positivity in the town. So it's important to remember that, that it's only, it is only a minority. It's good to get that message out there. Reminding you again, the place to be if you're 14 to 18 is tomorrow night, Boomerang Youth Cafe on Fair Street in Drogheda. The ladies will be there. They'll welcome you with open arms and you'll be getting involved in something very special. Being kind to your mind are the words to remember. Thank you so much for joining me. Best wishes, Ashling, with your dance school. Continued success to you and with KidCast as well. On you too. I'll just say, you're a great teacher. My granddaughter, Eva <laughs> Flynn, she's with you every Saturday <laughs> and she so loves much. you. Thank you so anyway, much. Anyway, thank you both for joining thank me on the show. You. Best wishes. Thanks so much. I think this message leads nicely into our next regular feature. There are two German Shepherd dogs have gone missing in the Grange Bellew area today. One is all black and is uh, Combo is the name, answers to Combo, and the other one answers to Nova. If you find them, the owner would be eternally grateful. They're really concerned about them at the moment. So that's Grange Bellew area of County Loud. They're both chipped as well. So if you come across two German Shepherds, or even one, if you pick up one of them, give us a shout here at the station, 1857159958. And yes, it does lead into one of our uh, adored regulars. Yes, she's been with us a number of years and she's back again this year in late lunch. And I'm delighted to welcome back to the show, Sinead Kelly. Sinead. Good to be back. Thanks for uh, Great Jerry. to see you again. Thank you for joining us. Straight to business. And by the way, if you have a question for Sinead, this is your chance. 086 1800 658. 086 1800 658. Text or WhatsApp us. Or you can call in on that number I mentioned a moment ago. 1850 715958. We have some in already today. Here's the first. Sinead, this comes in and it says, I suspect my dog could be losing his hearing. Now he's only nine but he doesn't respond unless he's looking at me directly now. Is there a test I can have done and can hearing loss be corrected in a dog? Okay, well hearing loss can occur in older animals of any species and mainly it occurs because you get arthritis of the three little bones in the middle ear if anyone can remember their biology from school they're called the hammer, the anvil and the stirrup so those little bones basically conduct the sound. So the reason for hearing loss in in older people and older dogs is you get arthritic change in those bones so that is perfectly possible um, so now to get that checked out you would probably have to go to your vet and arrange for them to, to check the hearing now it can be difficult because you have to be so careful that the dog isn't being stimulated by sound or smell or sight or anything like that um, but you should hopefully be able to get the hearing assessed sadly there's nothing specific you can do to slow that down you know the only thing that maybe could cause a slight problem with hearing but you would probably have noticed 
it would be if the dog had a really severe ear infection and a huge amount of wax in his ear or something like that. But you'd already notice the dog would be scratching would have a discharge, things like that. Uh, the other thing is, is the dog just being selectively deaf and ignoring you, as Princess Cleopatra does sometimes? <laughs> they do that. Uh, they do, but it sounds more from the question that, that it is actually their suspicion. So you can certainly get it confirmed and, and get, get your vet to, to confirm that with you. But sadly, there's nothing specific you can do for it. Now, the good news is that dogs compensate really well, uh, losing one of their sights, one of their senses rather. So he should be absolutely fine. So you know. Okay, there you are. There won't be, uh, life will go on. Yeah, and life will go on. Just yeah, he's just going to have to rely on you for verbal cues. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, if yeah. you're walking Which is up. what dogs may, our dogs mainly do. They read our body language. They read our facial expressions. So they do it all the time, obviously, because their understanding of English is limited. Um, so they actually are, are following our body language most of the time, really. You know, I, I, I just while you're on that, I n- can never understand with Michael and Messi. Mm. He actually knows when I'm going for a walk. Now, I can make oh, the yeah, same yeah, movements yeah. and the same yeah, walks outside yeah, and to yeah, the garage yeah, and yeah. that. And yet, I guarantee you, he knows when we are oh, going. Oh, yeah. They're experts. Dogs are just so expert at just reading, picking up visual cues, visual cues off us all the time. And I suppose we're not aware of that as a species that we're doing that all the time. But they have become so attuned to, to figuring out what comes next in any kind of, you know, set of behaviours. So they're very, very good at that. Now, they say we all live in a goldfish bowl, but we are going to talk about okay. a goldfish. Okay. Uh, next question for you. Sinead, is there any advice you could give me to keep a goldfish alive for more than a couple of months? The latest arrival went belly up yesterday. Yeah, okay. Your your biggest uh, asset is going to be the environment. So really, you know, goldfish bowls really are not good. You're looking at proper getting, you know, having a chat uh, wherever you've bought the goldfish from, hopefully from a reputable, you know, big, you know, pet pet shop. Um, and they'll be able to do you, you know, get you a proper tank with, with all the necessary, you know, temperature control and, um, you know, oxygenation of the water. You'll get proper advice on, on feeding and, and things like that. Um, you know, that's your best bet. So you, it's really the surroundings, your goldfish, goldfish is kept in and also the feeding so really look up diet and exactly how much they're supposed to be fed because often they're overfed they often they, they get overfed so if you've got a good environment and good diet that's the best you can hope for uh, now again I suspect that even with that you might not last a very very long time um, but that's the best that you're going to do really is, is that you know really good environment you know plenty of space looking after all their needs and, and correct diet and then take it from and, there. and again important that you have a, a nice little tank oxygenated water and you're giving them the best possibility of it yeah and again maybe company as well I mean I think oh, yeah. you know as a species okay. they, they tend I mean fish de- tend not to exist in isolation so maybe instead of having one maybe having a few of the same species uh, you know, something That's to have a chat, have a, have know, a chat about. But again, shoal. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So do a bit of research yourself and have a chat. You know, with uh, with uh, you know most of the big pet stores. Um, you know, they they do the staff are are you know very knowledgeable about about the different species that they're that they're looking after. So have a chat with them about the best. Condition. Thanks, Sinead. Uh, my husky's nose has turned rather pink recently. Okay. she's almost two, and I noticed because her nose has really been predominantly black. Okay, okay. That sounds a bit like there might be some depigmentation going on there. If it was previously black, that would be the black pigment. So if it's becoming depigmented, um, that can be a sign of a skin condition. So there's different immune-mediated skin conditions where you can get a depigmentation. Um, or uh, sometimes, it, and then normally with immune conditions affecting the nose or the nasal planum, as we call it, they're very itchy. So normally you'd notice some rubbing of the nose, scratching of the nose, scaliness, stuff like that. So it doesn't maybe sound quite like that. The other thing is they can get, um, I think it's a kind of a vitamin B deficiency. Uh, 
uh, or a biotin uh, deficiency or a niacin deficiency, uh, whereby they, they run out, they, they kind of get depigmentation of, of the nose. So um, again, maybe go along to your vet and get it confirmed that there's definitely no um, immune-mediated skin disease and then maybe have a chat with them about different supplements because it may be that there's some depigmentation going on that requires dietary supplementation. If it's continuing unabated, then probably they can do a biopsy and just check there's nothing else going on. But I'd say it is probably, you know, due to, um, you know, some kind of maybe a, a dietary deficiency. As far as I can remember, Huskies are one of the breeds of dogs that do have specific little peculiarities about their skin and their nose and they may require extra supplementation. So definitely have a chat to your vet. Thanks for that, Sinead. All oh, the questions are fantastic and varied this afternoon. Keep them coming to us. 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp. Listen to this one. I'm planning to rehome two rescue hens shortly. I have a coop and a run in place. Do they take much care from a veterinary point of view? From a veterinary point of view, I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose you need to keep an eye on them, really. You need to make sure they're on, I mean, you know, correct environment and diet is very, very important. Um, and then really from a point of view, maybe check them when they arrive that they don't have any infestations of mites or lice, which a lot of the birds can have. So if they do, then you'll need to have a chat with your vet about getting treatment for those. Um, and again, sometimes, again, if they come, especially if they're rescued from um, a battery hen situation, often they're very, very thin. They often have worm infestations. So again, have a chat. I would probably have a chat with your vet about getting them worm treatment um, and, and, and getting, you know, par- ectoparasite treatment. Uh, and maybe not all vets will be equipped to deal with, with chickens. So maybe have a little bit of a, a hunt around and find vets that are unknowledgeable in that in, in that respect. But definitely the ones that come from the, you know, the kind of, you know, uh, battery farming or the, the cage farming, they're, they're underweight, they're, they're, they're heavily parasitized. So you will need to speak to a vet about, about you know, parasite control. And then after that, the diseases that they're prone to um, tend to be, you know, if you're in a kind of free range situation, they should be much less because really in the battery situation, they're more likely to digestive and respiratory illnesses, whereas in a free range situation, they're, they're much, much fitter and healthier from that point of view. There you go. And it's a, it's a noble thing to do to rescue them. Very good, them. yeah. And, you, and I know a lot of people who do it and yes, it's very rewarding. It yeah, is. Very, very good. And you'll have eggs. You'll have yeah, lovely exactly, fresh eggs exactly, as well. They're yeah. fantastic. Nikki Kyle, our gardening guru, ha- has a number herself and always has them. And yeah, they're just yeah. magnificent when you see them coming back oh, to themselves yeah, exactly. they are beautiful my dog keeps rolling over in dirt and dead carcasses oh. if let loose in yes, the field yes Cleo were you listening I am fed up washing him mm-hmm. is there anything I can no, do no there's nothing you can do no I'm afraid uh, the Royal Her Royal Highness does that as well yeah um, there's very little you can do to prevent it um, the reason they do it bizarrely it's it's in their instinct I suppose it's in their genes um, traditionally wild dogs wolves um, would have they they feel that they're disguising themselves in the in the the feces of their prey species. So by rolling themselves in something what we perceive as smelly and disgusting and horrible, um, they they are feeling that they're going to be disguised as from their predator smell is not going to be picked up by their prey species. So that's why they do it. They're driven to do it. Their their genes are telling them they have to do it. Instincts are telling them they have to do it. So we're never, no matter how you. I mean, I'm not an advocate of punishing a dog ever, but no matter what you decided to do to try and say this is a bad thing the dog is just going to keep on doing it because they're driven to keep on doing it it's so. a natural instinct I know in, in my lifetime and the dogs we've owned 
owned. There's been some more. Yeah, some are much more than, than others. others. I wonder are those ones more more, more kind of um, what's the word? Uh, are they more in sync with their with their kind of uh, their 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 background or their history? You know, something like that. But are they the ones that are more the ones that would be keen on going hunting for the prey? Uh, but yeah, Cleo's a nightmare for that. Yeah, absolute nightmare. And you can see normally she's just out of reach, and you see the kind of shoulder drop, and then she looks at you to kind of go, "I'm going to do this now," and you can do nothing about this. So yeah, no, there's no preventative measures. I'm afraid you're going to have to just change your walks really that's all you can do absolutely and keep a good eye on them Sinead Kelly's with us on late lunch keep those questions coming 086-1800-658 text or whatsapp we'll be back with more answers from Sinead for you in a moment my cat's eyes are running profusely what can I do asks the listener Sinead okay I mean the most common cause of of an ocular discharge in a cat is a a viral infection or a chlamydial infection commonly known as cat flu that normally you can vaccinate your, your kitten an adult cat against that you need two vaccines as a kitten and then an annual booster um, but uh, if your kitten or cat have not been vaccinated or if they've managed to catch flu before being vaccinated they are prone to picking up these viral infections from other cats sitting in the vet's waiting room in a cattery different places like that um, you need to go down to your vet because uh, most of these things require um, special eye drops or eye ointment and uh, the cat may also have respiratory tract issues upper respiratory tract or, or lungs so you need to get that sorted out and, and checked out there are treatments available. Normally, because most of them are caused by uh, uh, viral infections, it's normally about preventing secondary bacterial infections and supporting the cat's immune system. Again, the chlamydia uh, requires specific treatment. So, I mean, you yourself, you can, I always say to people, get your cat or your dog used to you wiping their eyes down with warm, moist cotton wool twice a day and drying them. Whatever, whatever you know, the health of the cat or dog is, because it's, it's good to keep the eyes kind of clean and dry. Otherwise, the discharge builds up and mats up and gets all thick and sticky. But you have to go to the vet and get that treated. You need medication for that. Thank you, Paul's just been on from Navin to say my two-year-old cockapoo keeps eating his poo. Yeah. Help in capital letters on the message. Yeah, again, that's a really common problem. I mean, sometimes, you know, in a small percentage of cases, it's a sign maybe that they are deficient in something. So check that they're on a fully balanced diet, that they're getting out all the nutrition that they require. If they are, then basically it's a kind of behavioural issue. Um, There's a couple of things you can do. Um, There's a thing called, I'm trying to remember the name of it now, but there's a couple of different preparations on the market you'll get them in your vets that you feed them to the dog and they allegedly make the feces taste foul and the dog stop eating it so you can try that um, the other thing I've known people do is literally nip out when they see the dog has passed feces put some chilli powder or something on top of it let the dog eat it and see its reaction to that so sometimes that can work you're often the, the most the, the most devout of them will keep going no matter what the taste so all you can do is pick up the dog's poo as soon as it poos so instead of like a lot of people often say to me um, oh, I just let the dog out the garden and I clean the garden once a week. Well, from a health point of view, that's actually really bad because during that week's time, if your dog has worms, for example, the worm eggs will develop into larvae and develop to further infective stages. From a hygiene point of view, it's not a good idea. So literally, ideally, you should be cleaning up the poo as it's getting past. Every you know, day. At least every day. Yes. But the other thing is, you know, if you let your dog out, keep an eye on the poo, clean it up. Um, you know, otherwise it just goes out of control. Um, so that's probably your best bet. But have a chat with the vet um, and as they look for these different... Um, flavour tasting things one poo question must prompt oh another, gosh, another what have we poo got now? because okay. here's another one for you my dog is seven months old and her poo has always been runny okay she's on beef nuts okay 
Any suggestions? Okay, if it's always been runny, then you'd be a little bit concerned. Is there some kind of uh, dietary hypersensitivity or some kind of food allergy type issue going going on there? I would have a chat with your vet, first of all, get the dog physically checked out. And probably what they would do is put you on um, a, a high quality, probably hypoallergenic diet and see, does, does that help? Now, it may not be something as complex as that. What you often find, I think we've said it before with food, you get what you pay for. So the cheaper foods are cheaper because they have the cheaper cuts of meat. The really cheap foods have the really low quality meat and often just that's too much for dogs guts and that can cause diarrhoea or cause upset. So often all you have to do is change onto a better quality diet and sadly a better quality diet means a more expensive diet because it just they're, they're having better quality meat you know as has been put into it. So you yourself could maybe try a better quality diet. Uh, I mean again although they're more expensive I would always advise something like Hills or Royal Cannon or Omega you know something like that. If you're not getting anywhere with that then I so you may be looking at trying a kind of hypoallergenic diet um, and then you're maybe going to have to get that investigated at, at, at your vets. Thank you, Sinead. What's the best way to get my dog to take tablets? <laughs> I've tried putting them directly into his mouth. Out they come. He detects them in food and won't eat it. Any tips? Yeah, OK. Uh, again, Royal Highness beside me is a prime example of this as well. Uh, so, I mean, if you're going to give the tablets yourself, um, presuming that your dog is not going to bite your hand, and most dogs will not, but I would just always caution owners, don't do this if you think your dog will bite you. Um, your best bet is really a two-handed approach. So with your left hand, uh, you can kind of um, put your thumb and forefinger on each side of the upper jaw and kind of tilt the head back and lift the, the upper jaw and then your right hand with the tablet put it down literally as far back down the dog's throat as you can close the dog's mouth and rub the throat uh, often if you cover the nose as well so they, they kind of have to swallow if you're going to have luck with that, you're going to get it first time. If it doesn't happen first time, you're going to get nowhere because by then the tablet has started to kind of dissolve a little bit. It tastes disgusting and they're spluttering and coughing. So if that doesn't work, your next option is to try something like, um, because some people wrap them up in chicken or ham and the dogs are dotes and they eat it. Well, great, they're fabulous dogs. Other dogs, what you might need to do is crush it up and mix it in something like peanut butter or fish paste or pate, something like that. Something, a really high quality, high value treat to see can you get it. Um, and they're the ways I would I would go down like that. Uh, again, Cleo is a nightmare. She has to have her three monthly brevecto for her fleas and ticks, and I end up literally having to kind of divide it into about a million pieces and shove every single tiny piece down her mouth. So some dogs are just and Cleo is not. She would never snap or anything like that, but she just puts the locks on, and it's just trying to get it in there is just a nightmare. So if you try and approach it properly the first time, because the first time is your best time, maybe you only get someone else to hold the dog and you go in with the tablet. And the key is to get the the, the, the tablet as far back as you can, literally. Uh, over the back of their, their tongue, close the mouth really quite quickly, uh, put your, your hands over the nose uh, and kind of rub the throat. That's your best bet. That is the way to do it. I can vouch for that myself. Since you're talking about food, Jerry mm. says another listener, I have a nine-month-old rescue Yorkies. And is there an inexpensive way to feed them. Probably, okay, this is from our previous question. Um, I mean, inexpensive way to feed yeah, them. Yeah, um, let me phrase that again. Non-expensive. non-expensive is there, is there a non-expensive dog food? Sorry, okay. just to do that question justice. Yeah, I mean, the problem is again that... Um, if we think about it in life, you get what you pay for. And I think I've, I've said it before, I've said it just now, um, that the foods vary in price depending on the source, mainly the protein source within the food. So the, the cheaper foods have the, the kind of lower quality protein source. Now, your dog may have the gut of 
you know, an iron constitution and may be absolutely fine with that. So if you want to start off with a cheap commercial dog food, go for it. As long as you're having no sickness or diarrhea and the skin is looking good. But a lot of dogs won't tolerate that and they'll have diarrhea or vomiting or skin issues. So I always say to people, if you can kind of try and go middle of the range, at least that you're not going bargain bucket cheap. Um, Some people try and do homemade diets, which are a huge faff, making up your own, you know, chicken or mince or beef or whatever. And then you have to make sure you have a carbohydrate source and a fat source and your vitamins and minerals. I always say to go for a complete dry dog food is the best thing to go for. Um, But again, I mean, I think as long as the dog is healthy, you need to trial and error, try a few different ones. But, you know, the cheaper you go for, unfortunately, like most things in life, the cheap things are, are normally not as good. There's somebody there telling us that they have 18 cats. Oh, Lord. Okay. And they have issues with sore ears. Uh, yeah, okay. But to take them to the vet, she yeah. says, I think I'll need a medical card. Yeah, she will. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'd be very suspicious if you've got a, if you've got a colony of cats, which is what that person has. And if they've got sore ears, I'd say there's probably an ear mite infestation. So probably the ear mites are travelling from cat to cat to cat. Um, it would probably be the most economic to see, ask your vet, could someone come out and do a house call and look at as a few of the cats at least and see do a few of them have ear mites and then at least you can be prescribed medication yes. that unfortunately you're going to have to treat 18 cats for but hey yeah, you've chosen to have 18 cats then you need to have responsibility for them and it's moving. and that's the issue so unfortunately mm. it is going to cost money and it is going to require time and effort because you're looking after a colony of cats and unfortunately disease is going to spread very quickly through them so there's no cheap and simple answer in looking after those cats it's going to take time and money so um, I agree it's going to be a nightmare to get all 18 cats to the vet so see would the vet and most vets will be able to arrange a house visit to come and see as, as many of them as possible and take it from let's there let's get one more quick question in um, we finally given in to my son he's getting a hamster but he came home yesterday from school and told us he was checking the internet and it said it's best to have two of them Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, they do seem to do a little bit better in company. So, yeah, that's good. The only problem is, of course, if you get a male and a female, then you may end up with more hamsters than you'd bargain for. Um, if you're looking for, again, I'm, I hamsters would not be my most recommended small furry pet, uh, simply because they're quite, they're, they're very nocturnal. They tend to not really like handling and they tend to bite quite a lot. Um, a more rewarding small furry pet is often a guinea pig. So maybe get your son to do a bit of research on guinea pigs and see would you prefer that and get two. (laughs) And again, they're also easier to tell male guinea pig from female guinea pig, whereas hamsters are much harder. (laughs) So if you get two hamsters, you may soon have lots of hamsters. Whereas hopefully if you get two guinea pigs and if they're properly, um, you know, sexed, uh, you will be able to make sure that you don't have you don't have more than two guinea pigs. So ah. I would have a chat at that. But hamsters, yeah, they look very cute. But I, I find that people don't get a huge amount back for them as a pet. Um, do you know? So it, it's maybe do a bit of research, you know. Absolutely. And you have mentioned this before. Listen, it's great to have you back with us. Thank you so much for joining You're us. Very we'll welcome. see you next month. You and soon. I think our out song from this today sums up you because... I always enjoy having Sinead Kelly next to me and so do you with all your questions. Thanks, Sinead. Thank you. If I say to you, Sister Assumpta in Father Ted, Val O'Dwyer in Fair City and many other roles on the small and big screens and of course theatre thrown in there as well. Yet Rose Henderson will probably be best remembered for this. Oh, he's here. Oh, ah. 
Daniel O'Donnell. Hello, Mary. Isn't this lovely? It's just a few things I picked up along the way. We just like your cushions. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bit cold in here. Gas boiler's acting up. Sure, I could take a wee look at that for you. I'd like you to leave. I think she's the only woman in Ireland that would have kicked Daniel O'Donnell out of her house. Rose Henderson. How are you? And I do apologise to Daniel. I mean, I have since, but he was going to blow us all up. I mean, what could I do? <laughs> do you know, I inter- I've interviewed him regular, but last year we were chatting about this. And honestly, he said to me, no matter where he goes, you come up in the conversation. Well, just he asked to invite me to one of his concerts and we'll do a duet and sort of. Uh, I take it you get it too all the time. I do, I do, yeah, yeah. But it's it's one of those things that were you know it was so well done. The timing is great. It's it's beautifully edited together, and and they've actually done a safety ad with a joke. So you get the safety. I mean, you actually have to watch it a couple of times to see what's that ad about. But but it's on enough times for you to get it, yeah. I have to say, you made it. You played it brilliantly. You just, the punchline, if you know what I mean, that oh, was yours. Look at you. Yeah. I have that cross face, as my poor children will tell you. You have every type of face and you have to have as a wonderful actress. You're welcome to Late Lunch and you're here for a specific reason today. So let's get straight to, to point here. Alzheimer's is a shocking reality, as you know, Rose, for so many families. And you've tapped into your own experience of Alzheimer's with your dad to produce a touching and funny new play called Take Off Your Cornflakes. Now, we'll come on to the play in a few moments. Tell us about your dad. Well, dad, um, he he died four years ago. Uh, Jack, his name was, and he was an engineer, worked in Jacob's Biscuits. And uh, he was great fun, a great dad and just was 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 the 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 force in our family um and uh, god love him he was he was the kind of um he was good cop really my poor mom had to do the you know he he would try very hard to be tough and say now rose you know really seriously um that wasn't good and i go oh dad and he go okay that's fine then let's have a biscuit <laughs> <laughs> But but he he did. We noticed him just you know forgetting the, a, a few things, and there were kind of those normal things as you're getting older that you'd forget, or just things that you'd you know get the wrong day, or just get the wrong the person's name, or yes. simple things like that. But he did then start just one or two things that were kind of out of character and that weren't normal forgetting. If you know what I mean, there was just a, there was no logic to to a few things that he did, and um, uh, he lost his car. He parked the car and he, he was about three hours looking for the car in Dunleary, um, afraid to ring mum to say, look, I can't find my car. Where is it? Um, and, you know, so things like that weren't, that, that wasn't logic for dad. So um, so we just brought him for a test and said, look, it's probably nothing. It's probably just a, a blipper. You weren't feeling great that day. Just don't worry about it. And they do this memory and they give you, you know, three objects and try and remember them. And they, they talk about something else. And then come back to the three objects, and he couldn't remember them. So he had the classic symptoms. Yeah, the of classic symptoms. He had no sh- that, that short term memory was gone. Gone. And he wasn't like he wasn't that long retired. Late sixties, was he? Late sixties. Yeah, he'd only retired from Jacobson, you know. And uh, it had probably started a, a bit earlier than that. Only it wasn't, you know, he was coping. Yes. So he was he was finding ways round things, like so that he he always did the the finances in the house, and it wasn't until we kind of looked at the desk and discovered, oh my goodness, he's actually not keeping up with everything that he was. He'd be hours at the desk and, mm. you know, and we kind of go, what, you know, can I help you with that? Not at all, not at all, you know. But he 
was struggling to 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 keep those to keep yes. everything moving along. Sixty nine, he was, and he, he he only passed away four years ago. He was eighty four yeah. years of age, so he had fifteen years of this. Yeah. Did he cope in the early years after diagnosis? He did, he did, and he was driving, and he was, you know, but he he didn't know where to drive to. <laughs> so my my mother, who has never driven a car, and would be the kind of person that'd be approaching the turn, and he'd be saying, "Is it this left?" And she'd say, "Now just wait till I see, wait till I see." Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of had to learn to think ahead a little bit. <laughs> so I can just picture that. <laughs> so um, and they did. Oh, you know. So there were there were things. You know, where he'd do a U turn around something and and went straight into a bollard. You know, you're just misjudging the spatials. Um, he, he a lovely thing. We had a um, our our car mechanic. Mum had made him go to the the for a, a dent. That he'd moved bumped into something, and Mum made him go go and talk to the mechanic. And he had to look at the few dents in the car and said, "Now, Jack." you know, you're not going to get any, you're going to spend money on that and you're not going to get anything for the car. Just, I'd leave it. I'll, t- I'll talk to, to Edith, you know. Yes. And uh, and Dad got into the car and couldn't start. So he was, the car was cutting out. And what Paul did, PK Motors in Blackrock, he said, Jack, just give me a second. Would you have a look at that dent again for me? And he got him out of the car, looked at the dent and said, yeah, no, I've, I'm definitely not going to touch it. And Dad got back into the car and off he drove. Now that was after cutting the car out four times. He was, he was, his timing wasn't working. He knows how to drive a car, but he was just in a groove that wasn't getting him, and he was getting stressed. And Paul very cleverly just got him out of the space and brought him back into the space again, yes. and he was fine. Amazing, you know. Ultimately, then he had to stop driving, and yeah. you know, time passed, and yeah. this gets worse. It does, and it just like he was a very relaxed man. So I think we were at help with that. But he was, you know, and he did say a few things like, you know, I I know I should be worrying about something, but can't remember what it is, mm. you know. So he was quite. He he did eventually. I mean, he he wanted to. He he saw people fixing things in the house, and that bothered him a lot. Like, why am I not doing that? You know, that, that did bother him. But we, we kind of, you all the time had to smooth it over and look, we're trying to get that fella a bit of work, Dad. You know, just let him, yes. you know, he just needs the bit of work. And all mm. oh, grand, good idea, good yeah, idea. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. So, you, you know, you had to learn to kind of be a bit flexible with it. And he was all the time offering, after we'd sold the car, offering to pick up some of my kids from school. And, you know, and it just never got it that his car was now gone. He yes. couldn't understand that didn't. and couldn't remember that. Mm. So I'd be all the time saying, Look, I was just on the way past. Or sure, it's only down the road. Or he's home already. Or you know, um, just to release that kind mm. of anxiety. For so him. there were coping mechanisms for you, you know, in in the daily travails of life to, yeah. to deal with this. You you are quoted as saying he developed cancer then, yes. uh, and you do say that he didn't realise he had it. No, well, he didn't remember he had yeah. it. Yeah, mm. which was brilliant because he wasn't anxious, he wasn't afraid. Um, he didn't even remember he had pain, which was interesting. So if you asked him, like, you know, you could see he wasn't eating and you'd say, is, is your tummy sore, Dad? And he'd go, do you know what it is? Is that not normal? So he didn't know that that wasn't right. He knew it was it was a bother and he was, you know, he was surprised nearly that he couldn't eat a big dinner, whereas he always could historically. Did you lose him entirely in life that he came to the point that he didn't know you. No, and I think I'm very lucky about that. He always he always knew me. Um and I know I did help him. <laughs> I would come into the room saying, "Hi dad, it's Rose." You know, so <laughs> just in case. <laughs> but but he did. He did always know me and he did retain his sense of humor and very much the play does that because 
you know, one thing he remembered was his bad dad jokes. Um, and he just loved that. And he always chuckled about those and he laughed much more than we ever did at them. But but that was a real help to us that, that he remembered those kind of things. You, you know, for a lot of people with this, you lose them and then you lose them a second time when they pass. There's nearly a, a yeah. double loss. I think for me, it kind of, it wasn't such a shock. Mm. Um, I, I kind of felt relief when he died and I expected that to come back on me and kind of the missing him happen more. But I think we'd been kind of saying goodbye to him for a long time. And I think the, the effect on my mum, like she was under so much pressure and having to learn so many other things um, in the household and how to learn those cope at an, an older age than I am. Like I was able to be flexible with things, whereas for her it was much harder. You say it's better to laugh than cry and we've heard this saying many times through life I remember my own late parents saying it as well but this is as I said at the beginning when Alzheimer's visits a family or someone in a family it's very very tough but you found and ultimately to get on to talking about this wonderful play that you've produced you felt that humour played its part it did because what I used to say to him like if you're getting the same question 40 times in 5 minutes you know, if you, you actually start being creative. <laughs> so you can, like we have in the play where, the, where they're on the train and, and he says, where are we going? And we're going to Cork. And where are we going? We're going to Cork. And where are we going? We're going to Paris. We're on the Eurostar. You know, and where are we going? We're going to Niagara Falls. You know, and it, it doesn't have to be logical. and doesn't have to be possible. It, it just means that you can actually enjoy yourself on that journey rather than being and driven, the demented. Yeah, in, 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 in a hundred different ways. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And whereas it needs to be at the stage where he doesn't know that you're tricking him or he doesn't sense that you're tricking him. Um, and we weren't trying to trick him, but it was just that kind of thing. Of, let's play with this. If you don't have a, a, a short term memory, if the answer to the question is not in the room, well, then it doesn't matter. You know, and does it matter what day it is today? You know, it only matters if you have to get to an appointment. And, and we used to say, look, we'll do all that. You don't actually have to remember it. You know, just you, you have to trust us and we'll get you there. Mm. So he kind of said, oh, that's great because I can never remember anything. You know, so. Yes, yeah. yes. Now, the name, I'm intrigued by this. And uh, you have, of course. Is, is this the, is this the, oh, I see what it is. Yes, of course. We've published the script. you published the script mm. and yeah. I have it here beside me. Yeah. The name, take off your cornflakes. Please explain. <laughs> well, I just wanted something in the title that said this could be somebody who has Alzheimer's without having Alzheimer's in the title because I think who'd come to a play like that? <laughs> so, you know, I wanted it to... Sh- and it also kind of says, take off your cornflakes. Um, so it's the word is gone. But, yes. it, you know, he's able to get it across what it is he means. Mm. Um, and, and the word cornflakes is funny. And we wanted to say, this is fun. This is actually... It is very touching. It is, of course, very sad because... This man is disappearing, um, but you see the couple playing with it. They they go dancing. They do quizzes together. They you know they do lots of things together. Mm. And um, and you, it, I think it's only that kind of connection of that generation. I mean, my mom and dad were married sixty two years. You know, will we ever hit that? I don't know. <laughs> but you know that that I'm still talking to each other. Um, there are people who won't hit two or six uh, years. Yeah. Never mind six and two combined yeah. in sixty two. I have to take a short break. But isn't she wonderful? Rose Henderson is with us on late lunch and this as this play is just getting rave reviews all over it the is. place and it's coming to the northeast of the Dread Arts Centre on Thursday the 6th of February at 8 o'clock we're going to talk more about it 
in about three minutes. Take off your cornflakes. Remember the name. It's happening in the Dreaded Art Centre on the 6th of February. That's Thursday the 6th at 8 o'clock. And the woman who's producing it and starring in it, Rose Henderson, is with me on Late Lunch today. You've teamed up with a fair city buddy for this yes, one. Yes, Pat Nolan, who plays Barry, God bless him, uh, causing terrible trouble in there at the moment. Oh, listen, don't go down that road. <laughs> but here's the thing. You actually never were on the set together. We were never on the set together. And, and it, it actually frequently happens that you're in an episode with somebody and you only meet them at the reading you know that you're actually not in the same scenes at all it's, it's a huge machine I don't, it's a terrific you know to, to actually produce four episodes every week it's just phenomenal and your liaison on this, how did this happen? Did you go to him and say, yeah, this listen... Was, yeah, this was a, a show in a bag, which is an initiative by Fishamble and the Irish Theatre Institute and Fringe. Um, and uh, that's, that's the thing where they, where they encourage actors to write their own play. And so I applied for that. And just before we put in the application, I asked Pat, would he be interested in coming along with this? We had to write it. So he's being asked, will he be part of something that isn't written yet? It's going to be on in September. <laughs> and it goes, OK, I like the idea. But um, so it's it's kind of a leap of faith. All right. And because we hadn't worked together, we were kind of really hoping that we would gel together. And thankfully we did. And it is based around your dad and yeah. the experience of your dad. And Pat plays... He plays the... the, the we're a husband and wife. Yeah. Now, he does not play my dad and yes. I'm not playing my mum. Yeah. So we came up with two characters to kind of represent the things that happen um, in my experience. And really, that's all I could really talk about. Um, now, he did an awful lot of research on what, what it's like to play a person with Alzheimer's and he did a huge amount of, of, of you know study into how he would play the part and for him it was very difficult because we, we have 37 scenes they're all short scenes uh, and we've mixed them all up because otherwise the story starts with young couple great form getting on well you know and then uh, kids come along and then work gets in the way and then you know and just the story just as he gets the Alzheimer's and thing begins to recede and she fights to hold on to him. It's too sad just to put it in one straight yes. line like that. So we mixed it all up and that gives us that kind of feeling of confusion. Um, is this just a good day or is it, is he better or is he younger or is he, you know. So the, the audience have a bit of work to do trying to check where are we now in the, is it middle, is it late stage? And they very quickly start to get into the rhythm of that. And it's... Um, I like that. Yeah. Because it ties in with the whole theme of with this. With that theme of having it? no control over what happens. So so while it was a great idea, it was disaster the first couple of times we did it <laughs> because it was a little bit of wandering around as we tried to remember what was the next scene. But uh, I think we have it sus now. <laughs> well, you certainly have because this is special that it's coming to Dreyhead. And you'll, I don't know whether you've been on stage there before, but it's absolutely oh. beautiful. You know, love it's, the it's a lovely venue. Yeah. So and we love meeting people afterwards. And we have, we have, as I say, produced the play. So anyone who wants to buy a copy of the play, we'll be there to sign it and we'll be there to chat to people about really because we love to hear stories from people about their own experiences. And that's been our, our actually the reaction of audience. Sometimes as we go around the country with this play, people just want to talk to you. Mm. And I think that's really important because it's it's the carers who are caring for people with dementia really need support and it's very hard for them to get it. And to see themselves represented on stage is good because you, you just feel you're not so alone. 
And this is not just me that this is happening to. There's a bit of reassurance in mm. that. What an opportunity this is for people who've been touched by this. Yeah. Or, or yeah. if you know nothing about it, to find out more about it well, as well. And as well, they say that one in four families are affected in some way by Alzheimer's. So it, it may not be somebody in your family, but there could be somebody on the street who could just do with being brought out for a walk or just do with having a dinner dropped in or just, you know, the, the little, the small things that neighbours did for us were really important and got you through. For yourself, like I mentioned in the introduction there, God, you've uh, you've legendary status at this stage with Father Ted. And I was saying to you on the break there, isn't it amazing how Ted has retained its place and the reruns continue and continue and continue and it's up there with the greatest like I think of Faulty Towers and Father Ted in the same thought. It's wonderful. It's the kind of thing you can't create. You can't recreate either. I mean, they, they didn't really know. The two writers, you know, went to Channel 4, they, they, you know, they got it going. They got really good actors. They got, you know, they, they, they were writing and rewriting, crafting it on the floor as we went. And then there was a real lid. So the, the, the producer, there was an English producer there and he absolutely said, now by Thursday, there's no more suggestions. Because cause we, we had a lot of stand-up comedians that weren't actors that, and, and they knew that, like, comedians give it that freshness but they won't be able to do eight takes. So, or, or they will do eight takes, but they'll all be completely different and they won't know, you know, won't be able to lead from one to the other. Yes. So, so there was that kind of huge meld and we knew when we were, and th- then they brought in a live audience. So you have it rehearsed as the week goes on and then suddenly it all changes because you have a live audience. So that was harder for the actors. It was easier for the comedians. So it was a very interesting mix and I think it was a real, just coming together of all the right oh, people. Oh, a classic, mm. an absolute classic for all time. I think when Louise rang you the other day, we heard swimming. Or, it was, yeah. And I'm an old sea swimmer. Yeah, I'm one of those. Are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Year round? Yeah, year round. I love it. I absolutely love so it. So you go for a dip most days, do you? Every day, yeah, I do, yeah. Every day, yeah. Rose? Every day. Christmas day? So now when we're on our tour, I'll be looking for places now. Where do you swim <laughs> when you're at the rammer in <laughs> Oh, well, well lock rammer. Lock rammer's there beside See, you. Lock rammer's there. What Watch yeah. the pike that don't nip your toes. <laughs> <laughs> but you can swim in Rammer so, and there. And that's what I love going on a tour because you yes. do find new places and you, new people. You and, you know, so, so every day. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a blessing because you, like in the most rainy and windswept of days, you feel great because you've had a swim. <laughs> Rather you than me. <laughs> you but can believe it. Whatever rocks your clock. <laughs> I salute you. But is it, you know, when you take like the last few days being Baltic here, is the sea colder? No, well, this morning it was nine degrees in the air and nine degrees in the sea. Similar. So you might as well be swimming. Mm. Cooler in the summer, I take it, the moderating. They say it moderates the land yeah, it does, in the summertime, yeah, yeah, does it? it does. Yeah. The sea takes longer to, mm. to cool down and longer to yeah. warm up. So you're not near the sea in Ramo, but you, you go out in the lake, would you? Would you do a I bit would, of lakes? I absolutely would, or we'll make sure I swim before <laughs> I, I start to travel. <laughs> so it clears the mind and it gets totally you going. It does, it's great. You're going to be busy with this the next while, with the tour, producing it. Yeah, and so it's not like in the old days where you'd go to a theatre and you'd be there for a week. We're there for one night. Mm. So every time we come to a theatre, we we spend the day setting up um, and there's there's video effects, there's music, there's there's all the, the, the lighting all has to be sorted. Um, and so by eight o'clock, we're just about ready, do the show and then we pack it all back up into the car and <laughs> talk to people and head off home. There you are. Yeah. That's the way of the world. Yeah. To say about it as well for listeners, it's... Uh, 
straight through. There's no interval There's in no this. There's no interval. It's an hour and 20, so it's not a long night. Yes. But uh, it's certainly good. It, a very telling uh, night. Yeah. A touching yeah. night. Yeah. A, a funny night and we want funny. to come back and so say. So don't feel stressed that I'm, I'm not going to be able for this. <laughs> You'll actually be... It's, it's, it, I think people are rooting for the couple by the time they finish it. They're kind of going, yes! <laughs> yeah. I remind people again before we finish. Take off your cornflakes. Drehid Arts Centre. Make a note of it. Give them a shout there now. 041 983946 that's 0419833946 to book your tickets com online and it's only 14 and 16 euro in so they're giving it away as they say in that ad it's wonderful I highly recommend it I hope to make it there myself on the night as well and Rose to see this because this is extra special it's been a real pleasure having you with me on Late Lunch thank this afternoon thank you so much thank it's you. been a pleasure to come Jerry. as they say in Love Island I've got a text <laughs> it's from a guy called our Big Jackie. Do you know them? I know him well. He's a lovely oh, fellow. He's a big Jackie Hannity, big yeah. fan. He says, "Jerry, I tip my hat to you. One brilliant interview this morning on Virgin TV. You spoke magnificently regarding Drogheda. Irrespective of the violence, our town has been ignored, overlooked, bypassed by governments. We need one authority back instead of Navin and Dundalk dictating terms and conditions." We need badly our borough council back. Please, God, peace will return when we have the proper police recruitment in place and hopefully employment should thrive given the right opportunities. Well done, Jerry. You spoke the truth on the TV and you should run for the elections. <laughs> the nomination's closed, Jackie. I'm just too late on, on this occasion. Anyway, uh, I think I'll call you, you Jerry, Ke- Jerry Telly from now on. <laughs> Is that a Jerry Kelly? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, I, I like that. That's the first time I was ever on television. Really? Oh, yeah. I thought you'd left me when I walked in this <laughs> morning, saw you on the big screen. <laughs> I'd never leave you, Louise. No, thanks, Never, you ever, liar. ever. Anyway, thank you for that lovely comment there, Jackie. Much appreciated. And look, I, I speak my mind. I say what I believe, and I believe it's the truth as well. And... Uh, the time has come for talking to end and what we need now is absolute action. We need jobs, we need investment in sports facilities and I did mention this morning on the uh, television, I'll say it again, Drogheda United have a fabulous plan on the north side of the town. Out your way, Louise, for the new stadium and six pitches for all of the soccer community to make it a hub right. for soccer in this part of the northeast, and they're waiting to move it on. Connor and the the club are ready to go. Loud County Council have played a brilliant part in it as well. They got no funding in the government funding from the uh, sports tranches that were issued lately. They have to be hugely funded next time round to make that happen. And also the Football Association of Ireland. Well, should I even talk about them? The mess they are at the moment and continue to be. Let's hope the new people and independent directors and uh, new uh, president, etc., will guide it back to a steadiness and a right path. But the FAI have to back this as well and have to make sure it happens, not block it, not put obstacles in the way, not stop it, not be a negative in this. They have to facilitate it and they know they can facilitate it. And the people in there, the new people, I call on them to do that now because the, the block in this at the moment is with the FAI. And it needs to be unblocked sooner rather than later. And that would be a gesture towards Drogheda. Just one gesture. And that stadium, like uh, the club have said, it can be a municipal stadium. They're open to bring others with them there as well. That's just one example. There are lots of other sports clubs. There are lots of other social areas that need help. And we do need. We do need a Limerick-type force here, Gardaí. 
for the foreseeable future to sort out what needs sorting out. And I'll leave it at that for today. But those are my thoughts. And I always speak honestly and from the heart about it. Simple as that. You now, sure there's no posters going up? <laughs> <laughs> Not this time. Vote for Derry. <laughs> anyway, you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. And coming up next, we're going to talk to a very interesting lady. Her name is Maura Lavelle. You know when children are in hospital, and especially long stays in hospital, it's difficult on the child itself. And on the parents and family. Well, there's an opportunity if you might have an hour or two on your hands and you'd like to really help out in that particular area. Stay with us and find out about it next. Hospitals, testing places for everyone at the best of times, but especially for children. Now, wouldn't you like to make hospital a happier place for a child? Well, you can, because I'm joined on the line by Marketing and Development Manager of Children in Hospital in Ireland, Maura Lavelle. Hello, Maura. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for taking our call today. How long is your organisation on the go? Well, would you believe we are actually 50 this year. Congratulations. Yeah, we were founded in 1970, actually, um, by a woman who was had had a child in hospital. He was in for about five weeks with tonsillitis and, uh, you know, an operation. And she just noticed such a marked difference in his behaviour when he came out of hospital. Because in those days, parents were discouraged from visiting. They were kind of told, you know, leave your child at the door um, and, you know, don't visit because it just it just makes them more upset. You can visit once a week type thing. So um, she wrote a letter to the Irish Times and, and, you know, got a huge response from other concerned parents who had had this experience. And as a result... Um, Hospital for children is a hugely different experience now. Um, in fact, <laughs> some of the work our volunteers do is actually to try and persuade the parents to take a break, to leave their child for a few minutes, go and yes. have a cup of coffee, so that you know they can get a break themselves. So we've come full circle almost. Yeah, and like it is proven that uh, simple play activities, the company of of others, and it it, it aids the the natural recovery of the child. It is, absolutely. And it kind of, I suppose, like it just normalises the situation because hospital, for anybody, as you said at the top of the programme there, it is actually quite an abnormal, kind of scary place to be, even as an adult. There's different sounds, different smells, you know, it's so different. So for a child, and especially for a lot of children who might be in an unexpected visit, um, it can be very scary. So just to have someone coming in with a red T-shirt, you know, that they're literally there to play, there's no sign of a stethoscope or a needle or anything like that, um, it does make a huge difference. just takes their mind off kind of the situation that they're, that they're in at that moment. Now you're bringing your roadshow, if I might call it that, to Drogheda and uh, the regional hospital here on Wednesday the 5th of February. What will happen yeah. that evening? So that is our information and interview evening. And what we do is we ask people to, if they're interested, to register to come along on the evening. It's between 6 and 8 p.m. And for the first bit of the evening, we just kind of talk about the organisation, explain to people what we do, you know, uh, and I suppose what what play volunteers would expect, like what they as a play volunteer would expect to do. Um, And then we do kind of short little group interviews where we just kind of sit with maybe groups of four or five people at a time and, you know, people tell us why they're interested or what made them be interested or why they think they'd be suitable for the role. And then following that, we um, it then invite them to training, which takes place a couple of weeks later on the 15th 
of February in Drogheda and it's uh, that's a kind of a full day training so um, the interview session gives people the information and interview session gives people a chance to kind of see oh is this for me or is it not because at that session we'll tell them you know we ask people if they have two and a half hours a week to give it would be generally a set time so that somebody would say yeah I can do it every Wednesday morning or I can volunteer every Thursday evening or whatever so that that makes it you know much easier for our volunteer manager to kind of place people in teams of two which is what we do because you don't volunteer on your own ever you always go in as Mm. a team Um, so I suppose people come along on the Wednesday the 5th they learn a little bit more about the organisation and if it's for them or not it's not a huge amount of time to give and I know there are people always looking for ways to contribute over 18 and up to any age and absolutely yeah and we're really I can I just say and I, I'm, I don't want to be discriminated the other way but we would love to see more men come on coming on board because like we do have a good few men now particularly in Crumlin where we have a huge cohort of volunteers because it's such a big hospital but like Often men see a volunteer role and they go, oh, that's not for me. Kids, oh, no, that's not for me. But it is. I mean, in hospital, you know yourself, you have boys and girls. And there's nothing nicer than role models that kind of suit the child as well. So just to say that, if there's any men listening that think, no, I'm switching off, don't. Because it really is for everybody. And the only thing that we ask is, yeah, that you that you have, you know, two and a half hours a week that you're kind of thinking of a commitment for about a year if you can. I mean, obviously life happens and, you know, things change. But in general, because it costs every organisation, obviously, to recruit and train and place volunteers. Um, And that you like kids, you like being around them. You don't have to have kids. You don't have to have experience of kids. You don't have to be a grandparent. You don't have to be an uncle, a niece or whatever. It's just that you kind of enjoy their company and feel that you can give something back. And you don't have to be of any particular personality type, uh, education level, experience, nothing, no criteria like that. I mean, the only thing I would say is, I suppose it's like everything. You need a little bit of confidence because sometimes you have to walk into a playroom and say, hi there, would anybody like to do a bit of colouring? Or, you know, walk into an outpatient's department with a, you know, a, a kind of a trolley full of little activity packs and stuff. It's just that you're willing to approach people. And some people, that's not for everybody, but certainly any of our volunteers are just amazing. And in fact, we had uh, a lovely review on Facebook this morning from a mum who was in Tala outpatients yesterday with her two kids who have um, both had an appointment and you know the waiting time was long and they were just finding it so difficult and suddenly in comes Pauline our um, our, one of our volunteers in her red t-shirt and she said just she felt she had to tell us because just the difference it made to her day like the stress levels were up and suddenly everything was restored to calm they did a puzzle together they were playing games she just said made such a difference and that's that's really what it is, you know. It sums it up. And, you know, I suppose people listening today would think, oh, God, there's some difficult situations where children are not really well. But I was just looking at, at, at some of the comments earlier on today, uh, knowing that I was going to talk to you. And I've never seen anybody say that they come out sad or downbeat from this. No, no. And in fact, I've had my own experience because I'm, I'm not from a medical background or anything like it. And I happened to be in a playroom down in Cork chatting to our play specialist. And next thing, this little girl comes into the playroom with her mother in floods of tears and I get up to move. And she said, no, 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 it's OK. My daughter's actually leaving and she doesn't want to go. And I just thought, you know, she was in there collecting all her artwork that she had done for the past five days while in the hospital. But so that's that's where we're at. And what that means for a parent and a child is that it makes any other experience of having ha- having to attend a medical appointment much easier, you know, because mm. they don't have the bad memories. And that's that can be a huge part for any situation in life. So um, it really does make a, a, a difference in so many, so many ways.
So all you have to do, you don't have to book or ring up or reserve, you just show up next Wednesday? No, we would ask people right. if they could register with okay. us by email or even just give us a call because it just means for numbers. It, okay. We can have a we can have a kind of a gauge on how many staff are needed ourselves, how how big the room we need to have is. So um, we would ask people to email info at childreninhospital.ie. Okay, that's very they, simple. Yeah. Yeah, so or they can log onto the website or whatever. So yeah, yeah, childreninhospital.ie, and it's taking place on the fifth of February. That's next Wednesday week at six o'clock in Drogheda Hospital. And again, just reminding you uh, what Maura said there: info at childreninhospital.ie. Just go on there, email them there, and let them know, express your interest, and they can get the numbers sorted. It's great. It really is. Fifty years celebrating a special Golden Jubilee this year. And you've heard what uh, Moore has been saying there. It is really, really worthwhile. And there are people looking to put their hours and time to worthwhile use. And what better way than going to the hospital and uh, spending time with children in need. There you are. We leave it there for today, Maura. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Thank Not you. at all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Maura Lavelle there, Marketing and Development Manager uh, with the, the organisation we've been talking about, Children in Hospital. That's a lot on late lunch for this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Have a nice evening. We'll be back again tomorrow, Thursday, and we leave you in the company of a man. There was a movie made about him last year, and he's in the news again, his final world tour, his wonderful songs. What a career he's had. I'm still standing. It's Mr Elton John. You just fade away Don't you know I'm still standing Better than I ever did Looking like a true survivor Feeling like a little kid And I'm still standing After all this time Thinking up the pieces of my life Without you on my mind I'm still standing The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.